Thank you, everyone, for listening and sharing this podcast with others. Our goal is to support the work by people of color in psychology. To support us, you can register for our continuing education courses available on TMCI's website and in today's episode's show notes. In fact, to wrap up our Hispanic Heritage series, we now have the start date for Dr. Mejia's one-hour live continuing education program on Friday, January 26th at 2 p.m. Central Time. The program will cover cognitive behavioral therapy for chronic pain with Hispanic clients. Again, thank you for sharing your time and taking this journey together. Now onward to today's episode. It is known that the lack of BIPOC faculty representation in the field of psychology makes it challenging for students of color. Therefore, it is unrealistic to expect that mentorship will come from only BIPOC faculties or psychologists. How do we all create an environment and engage with students of color? What are some essential mentorship conversations we might want to have with the students of color? How do students and psychologists of color continue to explore the possibilities of what our field can be for us? Welcome to People of Color in Psychology, the show that explores mental health topics specific to culture, diversity, and communities of color. I am your host, Jack Zinn. For our Hispanic Heritage Series, today we have Dr. Cristina Castro, a licensed psychologist in private practice. Prior to starting her private practice, Dr. Castro worked for 25 years in various settings, including schools, county mental health, corporate consulting, private consulting, and university counseling centers. For 15 years working as a senior staff psychologist at several university counseling centers included serving as a training director at University of California, San Diego. Dr. Castro is currently licensed in both Texas and California. One of Dr. Castro's passion is focusing on self-esteem and resilience with girls and women, especially amongst diverse populations. She actively works with her clients to shed any negative language that creates negative self-worth to help achieve greater acceptance and happiness. As a Latinx psychologist, Dr. Castro will share her personal journey that has allowed her to persist in becoming a licensed psychologist even when there were limited role models and representation in the field. Dr. Castro, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Walk us through your journey. Any memorable events and circumstances that may have influenced how you got into this work? Yes. Well, I I grew up in a Colombian household. My parents were both born and raised in Colombia, and they immigrated to the U.S., and so we were raised in somewhat of a traditional kind of Latinx family. Uh, Spanish was mostly spoken at home. Also Catholicism that is tied very closely to the Latinx culture. That was very much a big part of um, my growing up. We would do the rosary at night in Spanish. So these are kinds of some of the things that I grew up with. And, you know, my parents were both very, very hardworking. And college was not 
something that was ever discussed in my household. I had never even stepped foot on a college campus. I think these days it, it might be different where they're, you know, you might attend sporting events at a college campus or feel like they're more accessible, but this was back in the 80s and that wasn't something that I sort of grew up thinking about or planning on. It just wasn't really part of my overall sort of what I thought was my future. And when I was in high school, I remember there was definitely a point where I was taking honors classes and surrounded with intelligent students. And there was definitely a point where there just started to be a chatter about college. This was back in a time where there weren't the college programs that there are now. Avid, even my younger sister, you know, participated in that. There weren't programs really sort of targeting first generation students. So I just started hearing all this talk about colleges and my parents are doing this, my parents are doing that. And it, I really felt out of the loop and just was started to wonder like, oh, what's happening and what do I need to do? And so that kind of started me on a different trajectory where I started kind of getting more information, I think back in those times and still for, I think some first college generation students, financial aid can be challenging. That whole idea of it is daunting to think about getting student loans. So my journey started at a community college. And one of the things that I realized was, you know, yes, I didn't really feel like there were a lot of role models around me and even in my undergrad program that looked like me. But something that I feel is very important is that if that is the case, we need to sort of look deeper into how can I get some support in whatever sh way, shape or form that would be. And, you know, I remember the chair of our department, um, this was a very small department at the time. There was not really a lot of diversity in the department. This was in that the was 80s. a psychology department. The psychology department, yes. Okay, so, and in, so, um, so in terms of the undergrad experience, you did a, uh, received a bachelor's or studied psychology as your primary I major? I did. Okay, yes. and how did you get into that focus area? Because most first-generation immigrant families, psychology as a field isn't even discussed. Yeah, yeah. so college in general wasn't discussed, let alone majors. So, um, but I remember when I was at the community college, I happened to be taking introductory to psychology. I just happened to pick that as a general education. And, and I started feeling really interested in the people aspect of the class. You know, there was a lot, there's a lot of sort of like general information in that class. But when, you know, I noticed that I'd get really excited when we talk about things related to learning behavior and groups of people. And so I took another class and this was taught by a professor and she was, this much older woman from an indigenous culture and her class was captivating. She just talked about psychology in a way that I, I just remember feeling like, wow, this is like something I could really enjoy doing. So that one class from that one woman of color really excited me to take more classes. And so by the time I finished up my AA degree, I knew I wanted to pursue uh, psychology. And so I transferred and took all the classes. And along the way, it was very happenstance that I happened to make contact with the chair of the psychology department. And he was the one that actually encouraged me to pursue a master's degree. And I had never even thought about doing that. He just said, why don't you apply? 
And I, in my career, I just found myself getting propelled to the next step and the next step. So here, the chair of the department said, you should apply. And I did, and I got in. And then my supervisor in my master's program, when it was time to look for an internship, he said, you should consider an internship with the universe at a university counseling center. I feel like that would really propel you in a different direction. And he was right, because that ended up being where I spent a lot of my career. So a couple of the things that I feel like were really, in, in addition to these people in my program, were some of the things that this small program that didn't have a lot of funding did. And one of the things was they gave us funding to attend a convention really close by to where, our, where we were studying. And they encouraged us as graduate, you know, master's level students to go attend this conference. And it was, I think that's where I started seeing more people, more people like me. I started seeing people with doctorate degrees thinking, wow, you know, it's all around me and going to see these people that we were reading about, Aaron Beck and Mnuchin and Viktor Frankl. I mean, I heard him speak and all of these things just started sort of putting just ideas in my head of, wow, I could keep going with this. These are things that I would have never thought to do. I, there was no roadmap for me. And I imagine for some students of color, uh, you know, you don't have a roadmap of, oh, these are all the things you should be doing. You should be getting into a research group. You should be going to conferences and going to talk to, going to the social hour and talking to these professors and talking about graduate programs. Those are things that I never considered. And, and not to mention the funding. You, can, you don't usually have the funding to go to conventions and conferences. So when I presented my master's research at the Western Psychological Convention, you're amongst graduate students from all over the country and you're seeing people that have doctorate degrees and really feeling like this is possible mm. so it was in many ways feeling it was possible rather than feeling you were out of place yeah i did feel like these are i mean it was really i feel like you i looked around and i was observing what are people doing and following their roadmap you know, if I had fellow graduate students that had professional parents, these, these students seem to know what to do. Kind of like when a group of people walking into a room and half the people have, have a map of where they need to go and the other group doesn't. And so the people with the roadmap are just going along their way, taking care of things and getting to their goal. And you're just watching going, oh, I wonder how they're doing that because you don't have the map. So, but I... I started figuring out like, oh, they are at conferences going to dinners with professors and now they're going to get letters of recommendation for doctoral programs from these relationships that they're building or just even presenting research and, and talking to people that are in other programs about what they're doing. So I think for me it was exciting and it did feel possible. I feel like going kind of back to that journey Despite the fact that college wasn't discussed in my family, what I observed was that my parents, they came to this country, they didn't speak English, and they found a way to succeed, and they worked really hard. And I kind of recall that idea of grit being, I mean, it takes a lot of grit to kind of come into a totally different culture and figure out how to speak the language, how to find a job, keep moving forward. 
So I picked up on that hard work and that grit from my parents and, and that might be, not be the natural roadmap, but that allowed me to feel like, oh, well, if they can do that, I can do this. They really instilled that, that motivation, that, that blueprint, even though it's not necessarily a specific map for your journey, but it was a, a framework for you to work with. And then, which then allowed you to create your own blueprint to get to where you're at today. Yes, I, I think so. I think that it just felt like it was possible. It was it was daunting, kind of wondering like, am I gonna am I gonna succeed? Am I gonna get to this ultimate goal? Once I decided to apply for the doctoral program, it was every every new sort of challenge brought that fear of well can I do this? Will I be able to do it? And But being able to kind of draw upon that resilience and that grit and that perseverance that I think I got from growing up in my household. So that really allowed me to feel like I could strive for those goals. Yeah. As part of your goals, you know, in addition to being a training director, having done that, you've also did research on self-esteem yeah. So my master's research was with school age kids, uh, just looking at self-esteem and perception of competence and actual competence. And it's interesting because what I did find were the gender differences. That's where I think my passion started with girls and self-esteem was really looking at, you know, girls that were actually had high scholastic grades, th their perception of their academic scholastic grades was low, was lower than boys, even though their grades were higher. So that really kind of started giving me a lot of like question about why, why is this happening? And, you know, in that, in that study, we looked at self-esteem and that seemed to drive the discrepancy between actual and perceived scholastic performance. I guess, did you notice any racial element of being, for instance, a Latinx student, female student versus a white female student? Did you notice any differences there? Not in that research, but in my master's research that was more, had more diversity just any look at ethnic groups was that it was uh, there were certain factors it wasn't necessarily ethnicity per se but it was more like parents level of education reading materials in the household and um, socioeconomic status so those factors i think you can look at sometimes and and relate that to some group you know ethnic groups in terms you know like in my in my household for instance yeah, reading materials in terms of English books, that's not something that was I experienced. I, I read a lot on my own because I got excited about reading. But, you know, when they look at those factors, parent education, how many material reading materials you have in your household, those are things that, you know, have been found to impact the success, the future success. So I think that in my doctoral research, that was one of the areas that we did discover that did make a difference, whether students stayed in school, whether just academic achievement in general. And for girls, it was self-esteem, that feeling of, can I succeed? Just having lower expectations for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so, so and I think this is an important topic 
across the board for the field of psychology because if we aim to increase diversity, say in the Latinx population in psychology, we probably do need to pay attention to some of these factors like you're talking about self-esteem. How do we as professionals, faculty members, psychology mentors, how do we lift our students up to succeed and be represented in this field? Um, that's just more of a commentary than it is more so a question. But I guess to paint uh, a picture for our listeners, just regarding the importance of representation and how you yourself have overcame and pursued, do you recall the proportion of Latinx psychologists at your time versus more so now? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, even in, like I said, my undergraduate program, I, I don't even recall any Latinx professors. Once I got into my master's program, we did get one psychologist. He ended up being on my master's thesis committee. In terms of the students, there weren't a lot of students in my master's program. I was the only Latinx graduate student in my program. And, and then I remember like in the doctoral programs, um, I mean, at the time, so currently, Females, Latinx psychologists, Latinas, is about 5% um, in the nation. About a decade ago, it was 3%. And back when I was pursuing my degree, it was about 1%. So it's definitely changing for the better. I feel like I was lucky in that even though that faculty representation wasn't there, like at my undergraduate level, I feel like somebody took the opportunity to help me find a roadmap. And I, I feel like, so yes, having people that look like you and are in, and doing things that you want to do in your life makes it a lot easier. Like, oh, wow, I'm seeing a lot of faculty that look like me. I want, I can do that. And you have belief. But even if that isn't there, you know, we want that to be there. But even if that's not there, my hope for faculty that work with students to to reach out and not assume that they have that roadmap, that they know all the things they need to be doing, because we might not. It doesn't mean we're not bright, that we're not capable of achieving, because I feel like that is definitely the case. But we, we may not have the roadmap of what are the things we're supposed to be doing. I can't help but wonder the type of conversations a faculty or even a supervisor can whether they can be having this type of conversation with their students. And that is, well, I know you have the skills. I know you have the capability. I'm actually just curious, where do you see yourself or where would you like to take this degree to? And just hearing from the student what they envision and working with the students to create or connect those roadmaps for them to help them achieve. I think they may, you know, the student may not know, you know, what's possible for them or that they can even achieve that. You know, if they haven't seen it, maybe in their direct family or in their, you know, the people around them, that might not be something they think it's it's important to demystify, I guess, the process. Because if you if you're if you're not aware what those steps are, you might assume you can't do it. And so, you know, the self-esteem factor can be there. And also just not knowing what it takes to get a certain degree. And so that is where the faculty can help demystify the process and help encourage them to apply. 
have you thought about applying to a master's program? Or and they might think, no, I never thought about that. And so I think helping the encouragement, the demystifying, and the helping with the, oh, you know, there's this conference that's happening right up the road. I think you should go. I think, you know, maybe we can look at funding. But once you start seeing like the world of psychology and how it operates, you know, oh, you go to a convention and these are the things that happen. Oh, there's this social hour and everybody hangs out and you can actually go talk to these people. Or you go to these sessions and you're hearing these people speak about a topic and then you get really excited and engrossed and you think, oh, I see that that connects with what I'm interested in. I wonder if I should talk to them or email them or try and connect with them. And what I have found is that, especially from what I've experienced with the Latinx culture, there is a lot of excitement to try and be a role model and help students. I mean, I have experienced that in the different places that I have, you know, when I started my doctoral internship, the faculty that worked at the university, it's like all of a sudden they started reaching out to me. I'm an intern, brand new intern, and somehow they knew that I was there at the counseling center doing my internship, my last year of my doctoral program, and all of a sudden this Latinx faculty are reaching out to me. In fact, the vice chancellor of student affairs reached out to me, and I was like, shocked and and he brought me to his office and he wanted to talk to me about my thoughts about you know my thoughts on the topic of you know the latinx women at the university and what did i want to contribute how did i want to contribute so there's a lot i think of excitement for latinx faculty when they see students that are interested and, and excited about pursuing their careers in psychology and i think that they're pretty open to helping but it's just such a daunting process for a student to reach out so i i think that i've seen them do a really good job of reaching out to us and even though it's very like i said daunting it's also exciting to see them take an interest in your career yeah and it sounds like from your experience some of this interest isn't just with latinx faculty members it's also the importance of allyship. Absolutely, absolutely. I feel like in my different programs, there were, you know, I would say in my doctoral program and in my, in my internship, I received so much support from my training director. She was amazing. Dr. Marianne Takamoto, she, I feel like seeing her in this role, you know, th that year I was also writing my dissertation, which was very daunting as well. And you're still, even if you're in your, you know, your last year, there's still always questions because you're like, can I write a dissertation? And nobody that I knew had done that. And my supervisor would pass my office every day and he would greet me as Dr. Castro. And it was almost like it made me believe that I could do it. He was already calling me Dr. Castro. I was one year away, which felt like the biggest year of my life. There are a lot of things that happened that year that really affected me. And every day, good morning, Dr. Castro, good morning. And it was like, I started seeing myself as Dr. Castro. Like, oh yeah, I'm Dr. Castro, I can do this. And it just continued to motivate me and make me believe that I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I can do this. Wow. 
in many ways, heartfelt, very endearing statement and encouraging to say that. And I'm also thinking about in your career as a woman of color, what were some challenges that you faced and overcame that you would be willing to share? I think that probably that question that you might have as a woman of color of, can I do this? Do I belong? So having those questions, and then there were different points in my, you know, even my academic career where I feel like it wasn't only my internal question, um, where people would question, oh, how, how, do you, how did you get into the program? And so, so it's like you have your, you might have your own self doubt, and then have somebody else also doubt you because of where you came from or what you look like. So I think that was difficult for me, and I feel like those are probably struggles that my parents experienced in their life, and so I I knew that that's just sometimes what happens, and, and you have to work harder and you have to prove yourself, and I did. I mean, I remember in my doctoral program, so I already had my master's degree. I had already worked for several years before I went to my doctoral program. I'm not going to just drop out of my program because I feel like I don't belong here or because people think I don't belong here. And then I'm, then I'm not contributing and I'm not being a role model. And I was the first in my family to get a bachelor's and I got a master's degree and I got a doctoral degree. Now I have two nieces that also have um, college degrees. And so, you know, I feel like that's why we persist is because we want to also be role models. Mm. Dr. Castro, thank you so much for what you've shared with us today. And I would imagine that having gone through that experience, in spite of those challenges, you persisted because you felt it was so important to pave the way. You felt it was so important to also help others in your community create that opportunity. Well, Dr. Castro, is there any other final thoughts? I think just maybe just reiterating the importance of not making assumptions about some students of color have the role models they need or or that you, if you're not a faculty of color, you don't you don't have anything to contribute to that student or to help that student because I think that there's a wealth of information that can really help students get the roadmap and then find role models, sending them to the Multicultural Summit. That is an amazing place to go and find people and see what they're doing and get really excited about a career in psychology. So I think just that piece of being able to reach out and find out what students need to help them figure out where they want to go. Well, Dr. Castro, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you liked this episode. Please subscribe and share. We love to hear from you. So send me a message on LinkedIn or email. The People of Color and Psychology is brought to you by the Multicultural Counseling Institute. And I'm your host, Jack Zen. <laughs>